Hello and welcome to episode 248 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we're joining a fight club that we can talk about as we review Emma Seligman's high school comedy, Bottoms. But first, how are you, Scott? Oh, I'm so good. Had the long Labor Day weekend. We're recording a little bit later than usual. Had a nice trip down to Miami, where it was very warm and it was a very good weekend. Came back to New York, and I have just emerged uh, from the gates of Valhalla, seeing Mad Max Fury Road for the first time in theaters. And, uh, you know, I'm riding a high right now. Yeah, I, uh, I feel that, obviously, you know, in your top five movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, but I think that was your first time seeing it in theaters, correct? It was first time seeing it in theaters. It's like the third or fourth time I've seen it now. So it's, it's definitely uh, it's old hat at this point in terms of watching it. But, man, every, every single time they go, it's like second half of the movie, they go to the wide shot. And as is a very common shot in the movie, if you've seen it, they're doing a wide, wide angle lens. And you see the cars drive into the frame from the foreground towards the, ri- the, the war rig. And this this time in the, when they're driving back to the Citadel and you see the polecats swinging from the cars, Dude, when that shot goes on, you're just like, holy, holy cow. What have they what did they do in the desert? <laughs> something unholy out there. Some, something akin to what's being done at Burning Man right now, perhaps. But um... yeah, are people emerging alive from Burning Man? What's the what's the deal with that right now? They're just they're just stuck there. I mean, they yeah. can't can't get out because of the conditions is what i understand That's crazy. um they I can't get, to, okay. the, they can't get to the green place but yeah um truly yeah yeah no that's that's great scott that you finally got to see it um definitely i i've seen it twice in theaters and it's definitely an incredible big screen experience tomorrow um this isn't quite the same thing because it's not a movie that i've seen before but uh, and on the topic of rep screenings i'm going to see uh, Sorcerer by the, the late sure. great William Friedkin tomorrow yeah. at my yeah. indie theater. I'm very excited for it. I know it's a very, very beloved movie. It seems like something I'm really going to enjoy. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing that tomorrow because I certainly don't have the opportunities to, to go to rep screenings as much here in Charlotte as you know you do, for example, in New York or as our friend Paul does in sure. Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Um, Friend of the pod, Jay, was with me tonight, seeing it for the first time. Oh, wow. uh, What did he think? He said, I get it. (laughs) After the movie was over. That was his. And he was right. He he does get it. It's good. Fair reaction. I only know of a couple people who dislike the movie, and their reasons are very, very stupid. So, which are what? They don't like cool movies, or what? They don't stop for gas. It's is literally one of the critiques that somebody has has lodged against this movie. Okay, sorry, I literally thought you were doing a bit when you said that, but you no, no, that yes, one hundred percent serious. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I literally think we need to address fine. it. That's fine. Yeah, we don't we don't need to give it any more airtime. I think we just need to, sure. to move forward with that. But, um, Sounds good. But you know, interesting. I, I think Sorcerer is mostly like a chase movie as well, which Mad, Mad Max Fury Road, of course, is. So. Um, Similar it's a two-hour chase film in fact. we'll be having yeah um but glad you get to have that experience finally rep screenings are, are great for that sort of thing i'm hoping one of these days that i'm going to get to see interstellar because i think that would be kind of akin to what you are experiencing yeah. with mad max because one of my favorite movies but i've never seen it in theaters so i would look i'm not saying that it's definitely coming to charlotte next year but 10 year anniversary next year there and 
with all of the craziness around the Oppenheimer success. Yeah. You got to imagine that these theaters desperate for big movies to sell out crowds want to do something with another Nolan movie. Now, can we somehow get it with a live orchestra here in uh, Charlotte? Because God, <laughs> that, be, that's never going to happen. That would be terrifying. I mean, I'm not even sure. Like, I mean, Zim, Zimmer's just playing with an organ. Like, you know, it's kind of crazy. I'm not like, do they, did he use a full orchestra to do the score? I'm pretty I'm sure like I've seen, I'm pretty sure I've seen a clip on YouTube of like the movie being okay. shown with a full orchestra. But yeah, I would, I would ascend if that happened for yeah, sure. Wild. That, that's some shit they do at like Radio City Music Hall in New York. If they yeah, have it, no, if they it, do that next year, you just got to come. I mean, you just got to come. See it's it. never going to happen in a place like Charlotte. But yeah, may, maybe that would be my excuse next year. Um, yes, yeah. I do always get up there. But. And before we get started, Anyways, last thing, because we're talking about Fury Road, I mean, we got to talk about when are we get, what's the latest on Furiosa, Scott? When are we getting that? I think it's still 2024, right? Uh, I yeah. think. Can I get, I, can, I just can't get excited. You know, I just can't let myself get too excited about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Dune got delayed now. Um, Avatar was pushed. You know, we're, we're really, you know, hanging on by a threat here in terms of the, the blockbuster stuff that we... I mean, 2024 really could, be, could be nuts. A hellscape. Oh, I was going to say it could be so good. 24? It could, it could be, yes. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. I mean, um, Dune 2, Furiosa, just sci-fi. Sci-fi fans were eating. Right. Uh, that would be quite a double feature there. Yeah. But we'll see uh, about 2024. We still have a few 2023 movies left. Uh, one of them today is our film Bottoms, the sophomore feature from writer-director Emma Seligman. Bottoms reunites Seligman with Rachel Sennett, the star of her debut film Shiva Baby, and takes place at Rockbridge High School, where Sennett's PJ and her best friend Josie, played by Ayo Edabiri, are two unpopular gay seniors. Unpopular not because they're gay, though, but because they're gay and untalented, so the movie tells us. PJ and Josie are both pining for members of the cheerleading squad, respectively the model-esque Brittany, played by actual model Kaya Gerber, and the soft-spoken Isabel, played by Havana Rose Lou, but can barely manage to speak to their far more popular, more straight, and more talented crushes. After a rumor starts that PJ and Josie were in juvie over the summer and injured the school's star quarterback, Jeff, played by Nicholas Galadzine, the best friends come up with a last-ditch plan to avoid expulsion, disguising their actions as preparation for a new feminist self-defense club. Neither PJ or, and or Josie know anything about self-defense, but they see their new fight club as a way to potentially attract their crushes. And lo and behold, after the club gains some word-of-mouth popularity, Brittany and Isabel soon wander through the doors and into a world of possibility for PJ and Josie. Scott, does Emma Seligman's sophomore feature capture the same off-kilter comedic energy as her Cassavetes award-winning debut, or do Seligman and Senate lose their fresh edge in an attempt to go more mainstream? So funny, Scott. This movie, I, I'm sure it was enhanced by the fact that I saw this in a complete, like, I don't know that the film was actually sold out, but this film was packed when I saw it in theaters a couple weeks ago Great here to in New hear. York. And the movie was just so funny. Probably the funniest movie I've seen seen this year i think it's, i think it's pretty safe to say honestly i was it's one of those movies where just all so much of it is just really funny granted i mean the movie is trying to be that like everything is a joke in this movie which maybe you could say is a critique of the film as well 
but for what it's trying to be, which I think is just kind of a kind of crazy off the off the wall comedy for the sake of delivering a comedy and not much else. I think it's pretty successful in what it's trying to do. I wasn't really particularly taken with many of the performances in this. And I think part of that is because I think the characters are fairly paper thin in the movie. But again, I think the movie's just trying to be funny. And the film is really, really, really funny. Um, I think Rachel Sennett is is really good. I think A.O. Adabiri are good. But the supporting cast don't do a ton for me besides Marshawn Lynch. Who, I mean, okay. Yeah. As long as we're saying Marshawn besides, Lynch. Besides, so yeah, no. Besides that, yeah. Marshawn Lynch, the supporting cast doesn't do a ton for me. I mean, he's... It's so... I was listening to Emma Seligman's interview with Sean Fennessy on The Big Picture, and they're talking about, like, Emma Seligman doesn't, doesn't know who Marshawn Lynch is, is, like, talking to him about casting in the movie... And she's like, no, we think you're really funny. We just we're casting you because we want you to just be funny. And, and he like, improv most of his lines, apparently, in the movie, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I believe it. It's just it's very I don't know how else to say that this movie is just trying to be hilarious. And it is like it's just a very, very, very funny movie. And I laughed for 88 minutes or however long this film is. I enjoyed pretty much the whole thing. And I thought that the film didn't have much more going for it. And that's fine. That's fine. I had a great time at the, at the movie watching it and the jokes hit. It is quite different than Shiva Baby, which I think obviously I think has a lot of dimensions to that movie. I think it has a point. Not that all movies have to have a point, but I think that there is a clear message and a clear conversation it's trying to have with its subject matter. I think it's funny. I think it's, you know, anxiety inducing. It's tense in that way. It's a it's a very good kind of show of lots of different kinds of form. And I think this movie is less interested in in being that. I think it's almost like a tonic I'd say to Shiva baby, not that Shiva baby is not funny. It's just, there's no tension in this movie at all. Cause it's just hilarious. Um, the whole time I didn't really believe much of the conflict happening in the movie. Um, I wasn't super invested in, in many of the characters to be honest, but I was along for the ride and I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the laughs. Uh, that's, that's the way I'd probably sum the experience up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fun, maybe funniest movie of the year. I mean, it's certainly in the running with another movie that stars Io Edebiri, Theater Camp, which sure, you sure. know, for me, maybe has a few more laughs. But as like a, you know, I, I don't want to say it's mainstream necessarily, but it is going for a bigger audience, and um, it is more of a broad comedy than something that I usually enjoy. Um, I laughed all the way through. And I think that's a huge achievement for, um, you know, for Emma Seligman and Rachel Sennett. They wrote the movie together. Um, and I think um, it just has this energy and pace to it. And, and you say, yeah, that the jokes kind of come frenetically. I mean, I'm, I'm on record as saying I enjoy that approach to a comedy because um, it doesn't, it doesn't leave you to linger on punchlines that don't work right because they're mm -hmm. not all going to work um but you know in the case of a movie like this when one doesn't work you barely think about it because you're sure. on to something else that maybe does work and you know maybe marshawn lynch comes in and pretty much everything that he says in this movie is funny yeah. um he's definitely the standout of the the supporting cast totally unexpected uh i don't know <laughs> yeah i didn't even know he was in the movie it. i didn't even know he was in the movie yeah, well, I think we had discussed it before, but yeah, you'd be forgiven for forgetting that. But yeah, I, I don't even know how he, you know, 
audition for you know how did he come they, to they, they called him i don't think he auditioned for it i think that they yeah but like how did yeah. he come across their radar in the first place? probably the, they probably just had a casting director i think they talked yeah. a little bit about it in the interview i'm just forgetting off the top of my head right now but I, their casting director i think was like i think he, he might be a good fit for the humor you're going for okay yeah well that's actually and i did see something uh that marshawn lynch said something about like i think his sister had come out as gay and he was not happy mm-hmm. with how he handled that personally and so he kind of wanted to do this movie as a, you know, making gotcha. making up for it. Sure. Um, but he's hilarious. Yeah. Rachel Sennett and Io Itabiri, they're friends in real life. Um, they are. They're both perfect. comedians. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah they are. They're, they're perfect together in this movie. I mean, might be like the two funniest people right now. Like, I mean, in terms of their, their hit rate, like they haven't missed with anything that they've done thus far in their short uh you know albeit you know short mm-hmm. careers yeah. but you think about everything that Iolita Beery has done this year and you know going back to last year with starting off with season one of the bear um like gotta She's be having a moment running. yeah yeah gotta be in the running for like you know this performer of the year type thing which I I you know have kind of kind of like to think about sometimes you know like last year a lot of people talked about Colin Farrell and how he was in three sure. movies or four movies I think but um and, yeah, I think A.O. Berry is going to be in five movies by the end of yeah. this year. Two of them are animated, to be fair, Across the Spider-Verse and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But she's at a film at the New York Film Festival in a few weeks called The Sweet East, which also stars Talia Ryder, Simon Rex, Jeremy O'Harris, Jacob Elordi, a lot of a lot of big names in there. I think being directed by Sean Price Williams and, you know, lo- looks to be an interesting feature as well. And the Bear season two, also not sure, even a yeah, movie, but of uh, course. you know one of the most talked about shows from this year, one of the best shows, if you ask either one of us. And and I think if you want to be technical, she's also an Abbott Elementary, which not, oh, again not right. a lead not a lead role, but yeah, um, certainly a very relevant show. But yeah, I think she's I think she's in the lead for that title. Early in the year, I thought maybe John Bagaro because uh, he was a he was great in Past Lives and in Showing Up, but um, oh yeah, yeah I don't know she. She yeah. might have taken away the title um, now from him, but anyway, they're they're so great together. I agree with you. Maybe the rest of the supporting cast isn't like doesn't leave a huge impact, but uh, Rachel Sen and Io Edebiri, and then the occasional assist from Marshawn Lynch. Um, you know, the, those are things are more than uh, enough to carry the movie across sure. the finish line. I enjoyed the absurdity of it. I mean, this takes place in a very heightened reality high school you know they don't really try it's not to real. it's not real. yeah yeah they don't try to make that part of it realistic which i think is fine it, it's more something like heathers for example um it's, certainly when you factor in the insane acts of violence that are going on at times in this movie. Like, <laughs> i mean yeah the, the fight the fight scene at the end of this movie is just crazy it's pretty it's pretty crazy yeah um I don't know whether the movie has a whole lot to say, but I mean, I think that's okay. Um, I, do, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, it is an LGBTQ movie, obviously, and they don't really make a big deal about the, you know, characters being queer. Like, it's kind of just part of their who they are, but it's not the whole of who they are and that we don't have, like... You know, we don't hear about them coming out or anything like that. Like, again, the movie kind of goes out of their way to be like, uh, they're not being made fun of because they're gay. They're being made fun of because they're gay and untalented, right? So it's almost signaling from the beginning, we're not going to do some sort of like, 
empowerment. Well, like, you know, from the, from a sexuality perspective, we're not going to do like these types of beats that you've seen in every other sort of LGBTQ conscious movie um, about the occasional, well, more than occasional, but the, but the hardships of that type of existence. We're not really going to look at that part of it. Although they do look at that part of it through the lens of being women, um, because there is this one scene where they're like talking about their traumas that they've experienced. But um, even that is played for for comedy in some regard. So I don't know that the movie, you know, has a, has a quote unquote point in the end. Um, it, I mean, there is maybe something to be said for kind of reshaping these power you know, structures to where it's now females who are in sort of these traditionally male um, roles here of, you know, starting a club or whatever, being part of an organization, kind of, you know, kind of comparing it to football, which we see in this movie, but basically for the purpose of, you know, getting the, winning the attraction of whoever they're attracted to um, for Mm -hmm. sex, basically, to put it bluntly. Um, because that's why PJ and Josie start the fight club. Um, and I'm sure there, you know, there are plenty of people in high school, plenty of men in high school who play football for the same reasons, but, um, there's something to be said there for, you know, just, just doing that and representing that on screen. I don't know that it says a whole lot about that in the end, like what is our takeaway from that? But Again, I don't think it's trying to, to be something super profound. I think it's just um, a, a fun and silly over-the-top comedy. And it worked a lot in that regard for me. Um, there... I'd be deeply confused if it was trying to be something profound. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't really understand <laughs> There, um, There was not a lot of dry spells in this movie where like, I, I didn't feel like I was laughing. So I think that's a huge credit because it's the type of comedy that I don't necessarily enjoy. But again, you know, as with theater camp, I think they're, you know, I, I think you have to consider just let's put funny people in front of the camera and let them do their thing. Um, I think in the case of both of those movies, they kind of work more off the free flowing style of the performers. Um, and there, there's not so much relying on the jokes in the 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 screenplay because the fact of the matter is you know something that makes a person funny is their ability to take something that might not be funny on a page <laughs> and make you laugh regardless and i think the best members of the ensemble here are capable of doing that i think the same you could say for theater camp so um credit to emma seligman who you know th- this movie maybe doesn't have the same like atmosphere, it certainly doesn't have the same atmosphere as Ship a Baby had. And I, I mean, it's almost. Like, I mean, this film's almost surreal at times. Yeah, um, I think that was her calling card a little bit. In Ship a Baby was look at this claustrophobia that she's able to create. Um, yep. There's nothing necessarily as um, overt here in terms of like here's the director's impact on the movie, but yeah, as you say, there's still. This she's able to create this heightened world inside the high school that we kind of just accept. You know, we're not we're not like sitting there nitpicking like, 
huh, why are the football players always wearing their uniforms? Like, you know, even when they're going to class and all this stuff. And why is Marshawn Lynch coming in and only teaching for one minute, but not even really teaching of class? And then the bell rings and they're like, wait a minute, that was class. Um, why is there this guy in a cage the whole time? Yeah. Um you know, you're, you're not really questioning that. And I think that there's something to be said for Emma Seligman as a director creating that, you know, vibe from the beginning where you just go along with it. And, you know, you just kind of accept that that's what the movie is and you have fun with that. So credit, credit to her for doing that, too. But um, Scott, uh, you know, you brought up the cast a little bit. I think it's worth talking just a little bit more about our stars here, Rachel Sennett and Io Beery. Um, you know, we talked about all the stuff that Iowa Beery's been in recently. Of course, Rachel Sennett, Shiva Baby, um, and Bodies, 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 probably her biggest things thus far. What did you think about the two of them individually and together in this movie? Yeah, I think together you were you were kind of saying it earlier. It feels like you can you can feel that they're friends in real life. I I think that their chemistry and sort of their ability to play off each other sort of blends something that I think you were talking about earlier where you were talking about how Marshawn Lynch improvs a lot of lines. Like if you told me that they improv, you know, some parts or, or elements of the, of the film and their scenes together, I'd believe it. Cause I just think they have that sort of rapport on screen together in a way that makes it feel pretty natural. Like at times I think it, they are so believable as these two friends that it almost, it almost takes you out of the movie because like it's almost like the movie stops and they're going to do a bit for a little they're while and then we're going to go back to the movie. And I, I think that sort of adds to the, to the surrealist element of the film. You know, your mileage may vary about whether you like feeling kind of dragged out of the movie at times by their, by their antics. But it's clear that, you know, they're doing what they want to do with this movie. I mean, you talked about how Rachel Sennett co-wrote this film with Seligman, that A.O. Atterbury is friends with, you know, good friends with Rachel Sennett, presumably also friends with M.O. Seligman, I don't know. But, you know, it really does feel like you can hear A.O. Atabiri's voice in the character, at least the voice that I feel like I've gotten used to watching something like The Bear over an extended period of time and seeing her in other projects, you know, most recently Theater Camp, which you pointed out, but also some of the other stuff, like even in, I think you can even sort of hear her voice uh, at, in terms of like her writing her voice, like what she she as an actress would say, even in stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you get little glimpses of that at times. And I think that the fact that she's able to, it really feels like she's able to, you know, quote unquote, like write the lines for her own character here, whether that's through improv or whether that's through collaborating with the creators on this. I think that that really plays out. And I think that's what makes them the most enjoyable sort of duo of the film for me. Again, it doesn't always feel like a cohesive unit for that reason. But if the film, if the point of the film which I keep going back to is just to be funny. The two of the, the, their two performances make it successful, you know, full stop. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. I think they're the, the main takeaway as to what makes this movie work. They are the, the secret, not so secret sauce perhaps, but um, yeah, I think, you know, we keep bringing up theater camp. I think Rachel Sennett in terms of her comedy, at least I'd compare her to, uh, somebody who's in theater camp like Jimmy Tatro, right? Where you, where you only have maybe he only has like one note that he's really showed so far with what he can do comedically, but it hasn't worn out its welcome yet, right? Like the the sort of um, millennial. Well, actually, more she, she plays Gen like Z. a like a ditzy yeah. cusper, Gen Z, like Gen yeah, Z millennial yeah. cusper. 
yeah, in, in all yeah. of these movies that we're talking about. And yeah, I would say that that uh, Shiva Baby, you know, calls on her to do a little bit more dramatically um, yeah, than these other sure. movies. Yeah, but um, but she, you know, you, you she has a very recognizable comedic style that she hasn't deviated too far from from in, in any of her roles. And you know, it, again, like I said, it hasn't gotten old yet. Like you know what you're going to get with her, and it's a good thing. Um, and and I'm down for for more of a good thing at least until you know it gets old which hopefully is never but um yeah and then putting her alongside Io Edebiri who has kind of this like nervous awkward energy to her um you know performances um even in something like The Bear again which is more dramatic I guess if you listen to the Emmys they'll tell you that The Bear is a comedy but um I I don't agree with that um I don't find myself laughing that often in The Bear if ever, honestly, I, I I can't remember many times that I laughed. The comedy and drama categories are just code for thirty yeah. or sixty minute shows. Like that's yeah, all. It's pretty much, for yeah. At this point, it's it's a joke, but uh, but yeah, she plays off of Rachel Sennett's chaotic energy very well. Like I think that she's a, a, you know a bit of a neutralizing force at times, which is um, which is necessary, I think, for the dynamic between the two of them to work. Um, so, I mean, I, I just really enjoy both of them as performers, both of, you know, them and what they're doing here. Um, I think they're well suited to their characters and, you know, probably, certainly in the case of Rachel Sennett and, and maybe also in the case of Iowa Berry, they, they had a, a huge role in crafting these characters themselves so, on the page and, and obviously on the screen. So, uh, supporting cast, Scott, you know, we have mentioned a few names and, you know, perhaps who we think is the standout here. Marshawn Lynch plays Mr. G, um, who's the teacher that the two girls recruit to lead the fight club. He's going through a divorce as he's very, um, you know, keen to tell everyone in the movie. But um, other, you know, supporting cast members who mentioned Havana Rosalou and Kaya Gerber, who play the love interests here. Um, Ruby Cruz plays the character Hazel, um, who's another member of the fight club who... Um, is kind of the put upon member of the group who um, sacrifices perhaps a lot for the good of the group without uh, receiving much in terms of attention or affection in return from everyone else. Um, Nicholas Galatzine plays Jeff. Uh, Dagmara Dominchik shows up for br a brief, you know, supporting role as um, the mom of Ruby uh, Hazel. Yeah. Hazel, yeah, Ruby yeah. Cruz's character. Um, you know, random other people showing up down the line, but those are kind of the major ones. Anyone you want to call out here except for Marshawn Lynch, Scott? I think it probably would be Ruby Cruz for me. I remember seeing her in like a, she has like a super minor role in Mayor of Easttown. And I was like, she, this person looks familiar. And I like went and looked her up afterwards. Mm. And she's very, <clears throat> she's like one of the minor characters in the show um she plays like one of the um like is it i think it's kaylee spanny's like friend i was gonna say one show. of the kids who's like with kaylee spanny in the beginning yeah exactly yeah i think she's in the whole like she she appears a couple times but that's what i remember her from and i think this is a cool i think this is a cool performance because there's not i like what's the right way to describe this like there's very little frankly like in opposition to PJ and Josie in this movie like obviously there's Havana Rosalou and Kaya Gerber who their love interests who are like 
the folk their focus and they are foiled you know their their characters are at times like foiled and at times not foiled by their attraction to these other people but there's very little like actual conflict outside of that happening in the film that i thought that i felt very invested in but i think that ruby cruz's character sort of offers that i don't know that the performance is like totally pitch perfect for me Part of that might be by design. I think it's fair to say, because again, we're talking about an environment that's pretty surreal and pretty out there. But I think overall, that character at least stands out in being one of the few people who actually stands up to specifically PJ, but also Josie and what they're doing, the underhandedness of what they're doing or the self-interest at which, you know, by which they're doing it. And that creates at least like some modicum of conflict within the film to be resolved. Again, I think your mileage might vary on, on, on that and how well that is sort of resolved and handled in the film, but it creates some sort of memorable stuff, including a memorable moment in the sort of the climactic part of the movie where uh, Hazel kind of goes crazy. So it, enjoyable in that sense. And she gets her, you know, she gets a couple big moments uh, with some, that, that sort of blow up one might say uh, that is very funny. Speaking of going crazy, by the way, there's the, there's that other girl who's in the Fight Club who's always like screaming and stuff. Uh, who I found her hilarious. Sure. Um, I don't know what her name was or even what her character was was called, but um, is that Sylvie? I, I think that might her character's name might have been Sylvie. I think maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I know I know which person you're talking about though. Yeah. yeah. She's like screaming slag. If you see, I know <laughs> that was like funny for me. Like the first couple times, by the end, I was like, all right. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, as for um, Ruby Cruz as Hazel, yeah, I mean, I like the performance well enough. I do think if I have, you know, uh, my major criticism of the movie maybe is how they use this character because sure. I do think she is more of a um, tool to move the plot or conflict along than she is like an actual person. That's um, fair. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I, I think, you know, Again, if you look at how her character figures in the machinations of the plot, it's like, oh, we need her to blow up the car right now, right? We need her mom to be the person that Jeff is. We don't we don't know a whole lot about her, really. It is Um, really funny that it's like her mom. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, do we even meet Jesse or Josie or PJ's parents in the movie? Yeah, uh, no, no. Well, I was gonna say we meet Josie's mom, but that's not her mom at the end that she goes to to talk with at the the trailer. I'm not exactly sure who that person is. Yeah, uh, the woman that she goes to speak with, but you know, somebody that she goes and asks for advice. I don't think that's meant to be her mom, but um, anyway, um, yeah, I uh, I I thought she was she gave a good performance, but um, I, I don't. I hear you saying character. Yeah. the character is fully formed for sure um yeah havana rose lou and kaya gerber like i think they get the job done in those roles uh but i don't think anybody's going to come away from the movie remembering a whole lot about those performances um just because you know i think again rachel senate um and iowa to really just hold the frame and then marshawn lynch is like your scene stealer i think everybody is going to kind of point to him probably as the scene stealer because even if you don't know even if you don't know who he is i think that i think that 
you're gonna enjoy. Oh yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, I uh, maybe my funniest line of the movie, and maybe and I uh, I'll spoil, I guess, for maybe my favorite part. But um, there's a brief brief moment where he's teaching class, and he's like. He writes like the Holocaust. Yeah, it happened. Yep. And there's there's this one kid who is featured throughout the movie. We no, don't know what his name is or anything, but he's always trying to like create anarchy or like he's he's basically like the school shooter in waiting. Um, and he like, but Marshawn Lynch is like Holocaust. It happened. And this kid raises his hand and he's just like, no, it did. <laughs> and it's just hilarious. Um, yeah. Just, you know, random absurd humor like that keeps popping up. And also just his, his like, feminism. Uh, who, who, who created feminism or whatever? Gloria Steinem, a yeah. man, another woman, or yeah. something are, like, choices that he writes up there. But Yeah. Um, Dude, the man's yeah. making learning opportunities, you know? Chances to learn in the classroom. He is. He is. Um, but, yeah, he's great in the movie. I hope we see more from him as an actor because uh he was he was very funny very amusing um and it seems like we look, probably he, will i mean honestly if he was improving all this like yeah he has legitimate chops and he needs to be in more stuff because he's really really funny with the stuff he's improving. i think Scott, it, was, it was it was something like i think the casting director or actually it's my opinion, emma seligman saw him in his episode of murderville i think it might have been what it is. you know the show murderville where they improv, where they so it's like it's like improv so it's like an okay. improv murder mystery. Everyone else except one person sort of knows what's going on, and you're given a, you're given basically like a, a role play, and then you improv the stuff. And Marshawn Lynch has an episode of that sh- of Murderville that show, and I think maybe that's where Emma Seligman saw him. It's coming back to me now. I think that's where she saw him, and she wanted him in the movie because of that. I think that's what it was. Well, yeah, the guy's got skills. You can definitely tell that from this movie. But so good, good eye by Emma Sagman to recognize that and to get him in this movie. Um, recognize Scott, the game. Let's talk for a second about the violence because sure. there is violence in this movie quite a bit, and sure. the movie does not hold back. I mean, you know, other movies might be more callow about showing women getting, you know beaten up in this manner sure um this movie isn't really afraid to show that it can't really be afraid to show that given what the movie is about um but you know nevertheless some viewers may be surprised just the extremes that it goes to especially in this final um battle murders are committed in this movie but um certainly what 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 did you think about the the violence how it was portrayed did you find it funny was there any sort of commentary to it? You know, what 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 were your thoughts on these fight scenes? Yeah, I guess I really didn't see much commentary in it. I'm not yeah. saying that it's not there. It just it didn't necessarily click for me. The viol—I mean, the outlandish, grandiose nature of the violence at the end of the movie—that is funny to me. And some of like the slow mo shots and stuff that they're doing at the end of the movie is like sort of chaos incarnate, and and works as humor. Earlier on in the movie, like the sort of unrestrained nature of showing, you know, these women beating each other up in this fight club, I think is an interesting choice. Again, not saying that they weren't going for something and it, it won't work for some people, but just because I, do, I don't think that there's much there for me in this movie deeper than the surface of the comedy, I didn't find that the violence 
that it's sort of displaying earlier in the film was, you know, effective beyond, hey, you know, this is a film that's going to take violence seriously in terms of there's going to be, there's going to be more of it later in the movie. Like I, I just sort of almost read the overt nature of the violence in the film earlier in the film, just to telegraph that they're going to do something wild at the end of the movie. And I think that's fine. Like, I, like that's fine. Maybe some people will get more out of that than I did, but it didn't. If there is something deeper there that they're going for in the display of violence throughout the film, it's not something that necessarily clicked for me. Yeah, I don't think it fully clicked for me either if, if there was something going on. I mean, you know, you could see the seeds of something, again, juxtaposing it against, like, the, yeah. the role that foot, football plays, for sure. example. Again, sure. you know, football is inherently sort of violent game, but which men play and men bond as members of this football team, sure. you know. And I guess this, you know, fight club, which these girls have created, is is creating sort of a... A female alternative to that right uh, because you know again eventually over the course of the movie it becomes clear like oh well yeah they're not just getting self-defense tools from this club they're like forming a bond with each other i mean that's actually even said at one point i think josie says it to uh, pj perhaps and they, that's when the scene happens where they kind of go around and like hey you know have you ever been raped before well what about gray area stuff um and then everybody raises their hand but yeah um, i mean it's it, that that's kind of stuff is always interesting to me because i think that i don't know i felt kind of conflicted about that about that scene in the movie because it is funny i'm not sure it's a topic that's like should be played for laughs but like obviously it's you know they're women they're the ones who have had these experiences yeah. not me and they're choosing to <laughs> I, I can see a total line of argument where like they're choosing to reclaim to re sort of reclaim that sort of trauma as their own and, and make light of it and i think that's totally their right like it left me feeling a bit uneasy in that scene in the movie because like i laughed because it was a fun it was like a funny sort of right, jarring that... moment but it left me feeling odd about that after I don't know. Yeah, they're walking a lot. They're walking a line because, like, it definitely is meant to be funny. But also, I think they want you to sit there and think about, you know, again, that's why they sure. put the part in there. Right? Like, what about gray area stuff? You know, like, and that's when everybody raises their hands, right? Like, I, I think I do think it wants you to think something about that. You know, there is a little bit of sort of basic, you know, rebelling against the patriarchy type stuff. They worship the the football team, and um, you know the the principal basically does whatever the Jeff, the quarterback wants. Um, and, and, you know, in the end they get to sort of um, subvert that by being the ones who fight the opposite opposing football team. I mean, again, you look at how the, the male characters are positioned versus the female characters and it's, their roles are reversed because the men are the male characters, despite being football players, like we don't see them playing anything that approaches football in this movie. They're just like dancing around and like saying each other's names and like Jeff, all this pageantry. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're almost like cheerleaders, but and meanwhile, sure. the, the women, right. Are the ones who are um, taking action, fighting, you know, and, and literally killing people at the end of this movie, having them stabbed with swords. And I mean, hilarious, um, hilarious stuff. Yeah. Wild. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know that it really explores some of that stuff beyond the 
you know what you've seen before again the sort of rebelling against the patriarchy in the in high school and here's what power structures are in high school and we're gonna turn that on its head and we're gonna yeah. give women all of the power here and that may be cathartic for sure. um women in the same way that that could i mean i think that the america ferrera speech in barbie yeah. was cathartic right like right. just just you know, we we may be sitting here saying oh well i mean you know that that's cliche or that doesn't you know is that saying anything does that need to be said whatever you know is being said but at the end of the day if if women are getting some sort of catharsis sure. and emotional response from this then it's probably done its job yeah i mean i think i think one of those things that you said just a second ago too is something that i think is such a recurring theme for almost all of the thematic elements of the movie is that it felt like there was a seed of something there for a lot of different mm -hmm. plants if you will to sort of make to, to broaden the metaphor but yeah like those those seeds are just they're just in the ground in the film they're not they're not watered they haven't taken root um was there i think there was potential for a lot of them but they just decided to go a different direction yeah that was a fine. conscious decision yeah yeah no it was clearly something that they threw a lot of things at the wall for the sake of humor there are certainly elements there that i think could be very interesting to discuss and think about further but the film just goes a different direction. And again, I don't, I wouldn't even necessarily hold that against the film, but it, it does, you know, it sort of, it lowers the ceiling for me in terms of how great the movie can be when I don't ultimately feel super invested in any of the characters, including the main characters outside of, you know, the comedy that they're doing on the screen. And, you know, I had a great time, but it limits, it limits how long the movie's going to stick with me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Scott, sort of a, before we go to wrap up, I want to ask you, where do you think Emma Seligman goes from here? Because, you know, we have said that she's made two very different films with Shiva yeah. Baby, um, you know, being this sort of anxiety comedy, um, you know, uh, about this, this woman's experience uh, in this claustrophobic environment. And then... Um, you know, you have this movie, which is much more of a, you know, mainstream high school raunchy comedy. Um, you know, what what do you think she, where do you think she needs to go with her career from here on out? Because, um, you know, this movie's, it, I don't, I don't know what kind of money it's doing, but it's gotten great reviews. Um, and it seems like the people who have seen it have really enjoyed it. She may have some options for her that are opening up because of, you know, what she was able to do with this movie. Um, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about her career path? Yeah. I, I mean, she was definitely trusted with a lot larger of a budget on this movie. I mean, Shiva mm -hmm. baby. I, I don't know off the top of my head, nothing, yeah. but like that movie was made for probably less than a million dollars. I presume something, something akin to that level of investment. If, if more than that, then not much more, I wouldn't think. Whereas, I mean, this film, yeah, the budget for Shiva Baby was $200,000. $200,000, yeah. Yeah. Whereas this film, I mean, I think the budget of this film is over $10 million, <laughs> if I remember correctly. And some of those scenes that they're doing, especially at the end of the movie and the football stadium, those are quite elaborate scenes. Multiple explosions, yeah. Sure, yeah. And I just think that presumably, like, I don't I don't know off the top of my head how much this movie's making. I don't. I kind of doubt it's made its budget back. Not that it needs to make its budget back in theaters to, to be successful. But I think that 
ideally if this film ultimately finds success i mean also this is an r-rated teen comedy like you know the there is a ceiling you describe this as a broader a more broadly appealing um comedy than something like theater camp i do think that's true but ultimately this film is still only targeting a pretty small group of people and that's like people under the age of 30 ultimately i'm not saying people who are older than that aren't going to find the film funny or wouldn't enjoy it if they seek it out but like the target audience of this film is someone who's like rachel senate or younger you know what i mean like, and I would say LGBT people in general, perhaps sure, might, you might extend that beyond the age range there, but yeah. But I think that. That, that, that could very well be true. I think, I think that's a fair, I think that is a fair point to make. I just find so much of the comedy, although obviously queer focused is like, so millennial Gen Z customer, that sort of like younger age group, even in the queer side of it, it's like, I kind of feel like if you're, you know, a 50 something queer woman, not that you won't be able to relate to the movie and enjoy it, but like, I'm not sure that all the humor is going to land as much as if, if you're younger, which is fine. Again, not everything, you know, we've been sitting here talking about like not every joke has to land and to be successful. And I think that there's still plenty to, to find and unearth in the, in the film. But I think, I mean, ideally she would continue to get comparable or larger budgets to make projects that interest her, whether she's going to do something next. Like, I don't know how interested she is in doing like continuing to do, different types of like genre movies. I mean, she's made sort of a genre type sort of thriller in Shiva Baby. She's made a genre type film in terms of just like a pure comedy, like a straight laced through and through comedy. Is she interested in making something more genre, like a horror movie? Like I'm, horror I'm movie, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if she's interested in that. I don't know what she's interested in to be fair. You know, does she go back and do something more? I don't want to say traditional. Cause I don't think that, I think she's sort of proven that whatever she does is not going to be, inherently traditional but like does she do something that's just more like a mainstream quote-unquote drama you know like I, I don't know the answer to that question i think you know she still hasn't been distributed by um you know one of the big five movie companies i can't see some i mean obviously there's these specialty art house labels of you know a lot of the a lot of the distributors like you know you have your 20th century label you have your focus features label etc cetera, etc cetera. like I, I believe shiva baby was a neon joint right that's neon I was think. it did it even get neon i don't did know. It even get, uh, maybe not you, you know you could be right i don't know um it was utopia utopia oh boy um okay yeah i mean they distributed most recently sharp stick and we're all going to the world's fair <laughs> yeah okay. so like truly indie indie, yeah. indie distributor this is MGM, I believe, which is obviously a bigger. I mean, that's how you get an eleven million dollar budget to make your movie. But you know, you, she has not yet worked in the true sort of mid-budget range for a major production company. And I'd imagine that might be. A, I mean, I'm not saying she definitely wants to go that direction because with that comes a lot of, you know, a lot of strings attached to that kind of money. And is she interested in making something bigger budget, or is she interested in going back down to smaller budget where she has more control? One of the things that she talked about in her interview with Sean Fennessy that I mentioned earlier is that she it was such a different experience shooting this versus shooting Shiva Baby because, you know, the, the production is so much larger. I mean, that sounds so obvious to say, right? But she has so much less time with the actors. She's not sort of just sitting there on the side of the set with Rachel Sennett just talking. You know, Rachel Sennett, Ao Beery, they're all off, you know, in their trailers, getting makeup and hair done. She's in, you know, Video Village for the shots. Like some, you know, it's just a totally different experience for her. And 
I don't know whether she thought one was positive or negative. Certainly there's pros and cons to both. And I think, you know, if she has an idea that she can make for smaller budget, I mean, maybe she appreciates that more because of the closeness she has to the physical production. I think it's an interesting comment. I don't know where she goes next. I mean, clearly she has a knack for this genre type filmmaking. And if she continues to do that, I, I would, I would have high expectations for it. I think she's proven herself. Yeah, I don't think she needs to go anywhere personally, Scott. Like again, we've seen. You don't this. think she should be the MCU director? You don't think she directed MCU? No. Movie? Okay. Uh, but but even more than that, you know, you're talking about her directing a straight lace drop. Like again, not that I don't think she could do it, but like we have gotten into a lot of trouble in recent years with comedy directors going out and making you know serious films now i would certainly put her on a plane above somebody like jay roach or adam mckay but oh yeah come um, on. <laughs> still you know still the the idea of it yeah. is not something that i'm gonna necessarily warm to especially because there are so few good comedies and she has made two, i mean chippa baby is a comedy too i mean i would say she's made two really good ones now um and in the case of this one sure. it is a truly you know, even though the humor is offbeat, it is looking for, it, it is trying to be a mainstream, you know, high school comedy, something very familiar to audiences. Um, but it's really funny. It's really good. And it just feels like we have, we don't have, I can count on one hand in the last five years or so, how many of those types of comedies we've had that have actually been good and funny. And so I don't hate comedy much as people may think I do. Um, I would no, just know prefer you do. It's okay. We know you do. Good. And uh, it's not good very often. And, and when somebody who shows, somebody comes along who shows that they know how to do it, you know, I want them to, to keep doing it so that we can keep having good comedies made. Well, but unfortunately, I was on, I'm on Iota Beery's Wikipedia page right now. And I was reminded that she has joined the Marvel TV show Thunderbolts in an undisclosed role. Yes. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, well, it, it comes for everyone. But sure. um, we'll enjoy this while it lasted. Why not? Scott, uh, favorite scene or moment from Bottoms? Yeah, we haven't mentioned it yet. I think one of the, I almost think of it as like sort of a tone setting scene for the film. Because I wasn't sure just like how, how surrealist the movie was going to go. But there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where they're, is it like a carnival or like a state fair type environment that they're yeah, in? Yeah, it's a fair, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of the first scene where where you see PJ and Josie together out in the wild, you meet Hazel, and you see their love interest, the Kaya Gerber, the Havana Rose Lou characters, for the first time. And at the end of it is where the funny scene happens, where you have Jeff chasing down Havana Rose, Lou, Havana Rose Lou's character, which I think her name is, um, I'm forgetting her name. Isabel, right? Chasing Isabel down the parking lot. Isabel gets into the car with with PJ and Josie as they start to leave, and then Jeff is sort of like on the hood, trying to convince her to come out. And is it PJ or I can't remember which one's driving? I think maybe Aoi Tabiri's character is driving, and they just like inch forward a little bit, hits him, and he falls on the ground and starts screaming like a baby. And I just there's something about that which is so funny. And then you have like almost like combat. Like a like like soldiers in combat, like his teammates. Is it Tim? Is that like the the his like right hand man? Guy? Yeah, I don't remember what the character's name was. Yeah, I think I, it's, I think about. Tim is like is like almost like fire, like dragging him back, like like hold on, Jeff, we've got you, Jeff. Like it's I don't know, just sort of the over the top nature of that really set the tone for the movie, and I just thought it was so so funny. 
Yeah, you know, uh, that's a good scene. I've alluded to sort of moment I liked earlier with uh, with Marshawn Lynch in the the classroom. Um, that's, I mean, sort of that's any really... montage of his bits is just is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the one that um, stands out to me. That is the Holocaust. It happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that. So I I, I, I got to go with that. But there's a lot of great punchlines in the movie, and I look forward to rewatching it because I do think it has rewatch value um, for sure. Yeah, Karen and I almost went to go see this this weekend, but we ended up doing other stuff instead. But I, I do want to I do want to watch it with her when probably comes out on VOD. Yeah, now I went to see it with my girlfriend. We both had a great time. We both laughed a lot. So there you go. Uh, let's put a score on it. Out of 10, what do you give Bottoms? Seven. Eight, well, you know, after talking, I was going to give it an eight. I think I'm going to go down to a 7.8. I think that's a fair score. Uh, sure. I do think Theater Camp is a little bit better for me. I do think I enjoy yeah. Theater Camp a little bit more. Um I think it does more with its ensemble, and also I yeah, love the yeah. songs. Although I will say, Charlie X, I, I did enjoy Charlie X's score say, in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, not not just her original song, which I actually don't think is that great, uh, which is like plays in the very beginning of the movie. Uh, but her, I, you know, she actually composed the music for the the movie too, and I thought it was it was good. It was memorable to me, and it, it matched the energy of the movie. Which you know, she's she's a perfect fit to score something like this. So. My com- my comparison take to Theater Camp, I didn't say this earlier, but I meant to, is that I think this movie is funnier than Theater Camp, but Theater Camp is definitely a better movie. Yeah, that that might be fair to say. I, I don't know. I, I might still think Theater Camp is funny, too. But they're both great. Like They're both great, you know, yeah. It, yeah. It's definitely not a one or the other type situation. They're both heads and tails above pretty much anything else you'll see in terms of comedies this year. So sure. check both of them out. Um, yeah. Really fun movie. All right, Scott, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have some news for you about two huge cinematic events coming soon to a theater near you. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott scott uh, before the break i teased that we were going to talk about two huge cinematic events coming soon to a theater near you um and i think that's true although some people may challenge me on this this first one here i do think it's going to be a big event certainly whether you think it's cinema it, de- it definitely will be. probably yeah. probably up to you but um coming soon to a theater near you scott it's been announced that taylor swift's the eras tour is going to have a concert film um that is going to air is going going to be shown in theaters in amcs and in some other theaters too i thought it was just amc at first but alamo uh, definitely has it as well yeah and like i noticed that aperture which is the indie theater in winston-salem near where i lived previously um they're gonna have it but um start uh, for the for the weekend or at, at least for one week and i would suspect it's gonna be longer um starting october the 13th um the eras tour film is going to be screening in theaters um this is a recording that happened over several nights uh you know if you followed the tour as i did 
Um, you know, there was they were they were heavily reporting on this during the shows that oh hey, you know, there's clearly serious camera action going on here. They're recording this. It's probably going to be for some sort of film. But I don't think anyone really knew what type, you know, what it was going to be, when it was going to be released. You know, she she's had concert films going back to um, her second album, going back to Fearless. Um, and she's experimented with all types of different stuff. You know, she's been with Netflix. She did the, the Long Pond Sessions folklore for Disney Plus a, a couple of years ago. Um, and now her latest is, is she's going to put it in theaters. And it makes sense because... Which one was is, Netflix? Was that the Reputation Tour? Which one, which one was Netflix? Yeah, Netflix was... And 1989, I think we're both Netflix. Um, okay. But... You're right. Um, you know, they, they did Miss sense. Americana, right? But that wasn't a concert. Right, that was a documentary. Yeah. Um, it, it makes sense, Scott, because this, you know, this was the event in music this year. Um, I'll take that, is, Beyonce. Eat it. <laughs> Yeah, they're comparable, but um, sure. it it just felt like I mean, yes, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of people talking about Beyonce, but it felt like you know it didn't every single night of this tour to was Taylor's yeah life. yeah was heavily reported on, um, and so it makes sense too because the, you know there was the Ticketmaster debacle, all of that, a lot of people, as many people actually did go to see the score, there were this tour, there were even more that didn't get the opportunity to because they couldn't either couldn't afford to or you know, got shut out by Ticketmaster. So uh, this will be a great opportunity for those people to witness the tour in all of its glory um, in, you know, something closer to the experience of being there than, you know, it would be if you were just watching it on YouTube at home or watching on TikTok live, as many people, including myself, did. Although I did go to the, the show as well. But, um you know, I think that the the more interesting thing to talk about, perhaps Scott, with this is um, the box office because um, you know we know how the Swifties are. There was AMC theaters. You know, it's funny because I had actually before this was announced, it was announced at like nine in the morning or something on Tuesday, maybe. Um, sure. I had gone onto the AMC website or tried to go onto the AMC website at like seven a.m to look for bottoms tickets for the weekend. And uh, the website was down. They're like, we're, you know, we're down for maintenance. I was like, that's kind of weird. I've like never seen AMC theaters have that before. And, you know, lo and behold, this gets announced later. And um, they had a queue to get into their website for most of the day because of hell. And I was looking around. So um, I'm actually going to be in Atlanta. We both are during that weekend, but uh, I was looking so I was looking at Atlanta theaters and I found one where, you know, there actually weren't a whole lot of seats sold. And that's because they weren't really offering any Premium advanced format. formats like yeah, yeah, IMAX or Dolby or any of that um, laser, which is AMC, one of AMC's things. But um, but looking around at the other theaters in Atlanta, I mean, it was pretty much all sold out by midday, um, all the screenings for at least for that first day. I didn't really look beyond that, but. We know how the Swifties are. Um, if anyone can can break the box office, they can. Um, you know, uh, what do you think this means, Scott? If anything, for you know the future, and will we see more of these types of of things in theaters, or is the Eras Tour kind of this singular event um, that you know is going to blow up the box office, um, but then kind of you know, not really leave much impact in its wake. Yeah. 
Look, I think that we're deluding ourselves if we if we think that the Eras Tour is not some sort of lightning in a bottle type event. I think it really has captured a lot of the cultural zeitgeist this summer. You know, even for someone who is not a huge I mean, I, I do and I really do like Taylor Swift quite a bit, but I'm I would not say I'm super engaged with like Swifty dumb, if you will. But like, you know, it feels like ever present in the conversation around music, just even as someone who's like only tangentially sort of aware of conversations of that space. And I think few things have broken through on that level. That's why it's going to be such an impressive performer at the box office. I mean, it's going to make significant money. It'd probably be like in terms of single weekend grocers, it'll probably be in the top five to 10 for a single weekend this year, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Um. I mean, I think it's going to be significant. So that's that said, I, I'm not sure that there's much to take away from that because, like, the Eras Tour is not something that's going to happen on a regular basis or at a regular cadence. I do think that it will mean that movie theaters, and I think this is already starting to happen, but I think this is this will probably be like a, a good one to point to. Movie theaters will look at special sort of live event type stuff not that this is a live event this is obviously you know this is pre-recorded it's not live um but i think the notion of these sort of special event type things you know we've we've joked you know not infrequently on the podcast about things like fathom events right but that sort of concept of like we're going to take these special events you know bigger than what fathom events might do and make them a big deal at the movie theater i think the movie theaters need that i'll be honest like it's clear that there's obviously huge event films that will galvanize people to go to the box office. We saw it this year multiple times, but obviously the most biggest of which was, of course, Barbie and Oppenheimer weekend. But I think that movie theaters need to find more events, whether those are whether those are, you know, recorded concerts, whether those are something else, you know, whether it's Broadway. Broadway shows. Yeah, that's what sure. I was going to say. Well, I, like this is a whole nother can of worms, but I feel like this conversation has been had especially in the last couple of years when Hamilton was so successful on Disney Plus. And I am all in favor. I mean Broadway is even I less do, so I than do the, think than it's the very complicated. Before. It's very, very yeah. complicated though. Um, but it's so not accessible to the average person. I agree. I think that the reality Hamilton's such a unique case. I'm truly like amazed that they were able to get that done. Um and it was for a huge amount of money to be fair. Like it yeah. cost a lot, a lot of money to do that. I think that it's more realistic to like, for example, I think Funny Girl, I think is ending this week. It's it's last week with Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle. And, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I said Leah Michelle. You, you said yeah, 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 yeah. I I think that that is a good example of a show that like, what if you put that in the theater for a one week run in like a couple months? The, to me, it feels so much easier to like do if the shows are done, right? Like if they're no longer still showing on Broadway, I think because just because the financing is so complicated, like no, the, I can't imagine many Broadway production financiers are going to be like on board with most productions going to theaters to be seen while they're still running on Broadway, because obviously that will impact their returns it, at the theater. And but but like you know you have these Tony award winning musicals. Not that Funny Girls a Tony. I don't think it's a Tony award winning musical. But you have every single year 
you know, something. I'm not saying these, these 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 types of events would do 70 million or whatever that Taylor Swift is expected to do. Like, obviously not, right? But if you put those in specific markets and with a limited release, you can probably get a pretty high per theater average, yeah. I would think. So again, I, I'm not someone who can call it. Maybe it is more, maybe it's a Harry Styles concert. Maybe You know what I mean? Like there are events probably out there that you can do that are not, you know, traditional movies that could do something. And I think theaters are going to be more hungry for those types of events. And th and then that goes back to, I think what this is all about. It's, it's all about eventizing the box office, right? That's like the big takeaway from the summer is that you have to build events to get true reach. I mean, this was true even before, right? Obviously it's more important now, but like Avengers Endgame, the highest opening weekend of all time in movie history was an event. Like it was the biggest event in movies for decades, probably. ten years of build up, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's a, that was a huge event. Again, it's a different world now. Like the the baseline expectation for a film in the theater today is different than it was in 2019. But I think that what we see is that those types of relationships around if you can build a cultural, you know, culturally important event at the box office, then you're going to get a return. I think we saw that at Barbenheimer. You're going to see it with Taylor Swift. And I think theaters need to look beyond just traditional movies. Um, to, to fill those gaps, because especially with the writer strike happening, like 2024, to, you said it earlier, it could be very it could be very rough next year for a period of time if the strikes don't end soon, because summer movie season may be, you know, in danger. Yeah, I think just on an accessibility level, I'm all in favor of making these things more accessible to people. Um, because... I mean, you could, you're like watching on TikTok live. Like, it's not like it's not accessible to people. I But not in this format. Again, this is this is sure. going to be much more yeah it's gonna be worse everyone's gonna be experience. singing in a theater you're not even gonna be able to hear anything it's gonna be an awful be experience awesome. it's gonna be <laughs> awesome um but no i mean i, I think it, it makes sense you know uh you talk about like funny girl for example i don't i don't really care about that musical in particular sure. but if you put that in the theater you tell me i can for you know 15 dollars, i can go watch the broadway production of that with leah michelle yeah i'm probably gonna go see it and with yeah. the heiress tour like I w was talking to Paul, our friend of the show, and he doesn't really care that much about Taylor Swift, but he was like, "Yeah, I'm probably going to go see it because it is like this big cultural thing." Like you're yeah, like you're saying, huge there, Scott, and it, yeah, I, I will be with people, and they will probably be interested in seeing it, and you know, I'll be interested in seeing it just because it's it was this moment in in our culture, and I think if you if you put those things, put these things like this in theaters, you're going to capture a lot of people like that you know, who wouldn't otherwise go see it, but, um, you know, will because it's more accessible to them. And I think that's a good thing because who knows? There may be people out there who, again, you know, aren't Taylor Swift fans and they go to see it just because of the cultural impact and then it changes their mind. Um, sure. So who knows? Yeah, I just a, think it's, it's all about right-sizing the opportunity, right? Like, obviously Taylor Swift is something that can go into thousands of theaters and be successful across the country. If you're putting funny girl in theaters, just yeah. to keep using that example, <laughs> like you're not going to put that in 2000 theaters across the U S like, obviously not like, that's not what you would do in this situation, but you go, you find a distribution partner, you put it in 500 theaters, right? You hit every major market pretty much with one or two theaters and you see what it does. And again, I'm not saying it's going to make, Taylor Swift money or Barbenheimer money, but if you make five to $10 million, that's probably a success overall. You know, and I think that 
you know, especially if you think about the, the the distribution scale of the theaters that you're distributed into, that's that's a pretty good return, I think. Yeah, I, I would think so too. I think this thing's going to be huge. I think it will probably run for multiple weeks if the theaters yeah. know what's good. For it, it it won't have the premium format for more than one week because of Killers yeah. of the Flower Moon, but it it I would be surprised if they're not unless that again distribution agreements are strange, and this is not being. This is not being produced by a major movie company. I mean, it, it, this caused a lot of angst, I think, last week when it was announced and executed with the major film studios that were all like, what are you doing? Like, you know, AMC, what are, like, what are you doing? And I think that caused a lot of frustration. And I think that what that means is that, is that you know, the, the distribution agreement there with AMC, like, it'll uh, obviously it would make sense for it to be in theaters for more than one week. It's unclear to me that it will be. I'd be curious to see what that sort of distribution looks like. But again, it's also like eventizing it, right? Like it's only around for a week. You gotta go, you gotta watch it this week. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, I have my tickets. Uh, I may go see it a second time. We'll see Scott. I hope you'll consider seeing it, especially if it sticks sure. around for more than a week. Sure. Um, I'm not against seeing it. It's, just because it's, it's, it's not a priority for me, but I'd, I'd be down. I, I'm, I have a similar mentality. I think that, that, you know, you talked about Paul having there is that, yeah. I wouldn't be interested in paying hundreds or a thousand dollars to go see her in concert. I'm, I'm, this is also a place where it's like, I've seen her in concert before, so it's, it's different, but you know, if, if I have a free night in the, you know, that week and I can convince, I'm not going to go by, my, it's not something that I want to go to by myself, but like, if I can convince people at work or friends here in New York to go see it, like I'd hundred percent go see it. Like, no, I wouldn't really yeah. even give it much of a second thought. I'd definitely go to it. Yeah, I agree. Can't imagine paying a thousand dollars to go to Taylor Swift. Yeah, who would do that? Anyway, uh, would moving, do that? moving on to our second story of the afternoon, uh, yeah, of the evening. Um, sure. You mentioned the morning. I mean, if you listen to the morning, it could be the second story yeah. of the morning too. You never know. <laughs> Whatever time of day it is, uh, yeah. Scott. You mentioned Killers of the Flower Moon. There, sure. that obviously is the next film by uh, by Martin Scorsese, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Going to be coming out in October of this year. Oh, yeah. um, but before that has even reached. You know, everyone, it's played at a couple festivals. Before that's even reached everyone, um, we already have an announcement made that Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are working on another film. Obviously, they've worked on quite a few films now, going all the way back to Gangs of New York, I think was the first one. Um, and Scott, why don't you tell us more about the, the latest project that they have announced? Yeah, it really, I guess, sort of starts talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. That, that is a based on a novel, which is also inspired by real world events that happened um, with the, is it the Osage Indians? I'm forgetting off the top of my head. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, the, that book is written by a, an historian slash journalist uh, named David Elliot Graham, David Graham. And his new book, um, his next sort of nonfiction book is called The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder, which is a book about the Wager Mutiny, which was a real-life event that happened in the 1700s on a British warship off the coast of South America, I believe. And it's sort of exactly what it sounds like from the title. It is this period piece set in the 1700s on a boat where sort of everything is, is going wrong. It's this Royal Navy ship, and a mutiny occurs on board. My, it's unclear to me from the article, like, Scott, I guess maybe you can clarify for me. Obviously, Scorsese and DiCaprio are working on adapting this thing. They also work to adapt Killers of the Flower Moon together. 
obviously Leo is starring in Killers of the Flower Moon. Was it clear whether Leo would be starring in The Wager or not, or just simply adapting it with Scorsese? I am not certain. I, I don't know that I looked that deeply into it, but sure, sure. I, I would imagine if he's on I mean, board, look, it's been such a productive partnership. Right. Yeah. Partnership over the years. I mean, you, you like you said, it goes all the way back to Gangs in New York, but I mean, how many movies have they made together? Like seven or eight? total i think at this point it's like it is a significant number that they've made together i think what gangs of new york um the aviator the aviator the departed the wolf of wall street yeah jay edgar well, no that wasn't scorsese that never was eastwood yeah, yeah 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 different different shutter area. island wolf yeah, of wall street yeah i mean that's six right there killers of the flower moon makes seven so that would be their eighth collaboration together it gives me big shutter island vibes Partially because of the period piece element, but partially also because just reading a little bit about the 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 nonfiction book itself, it's obviously not that it's like a psychological thriller, but I think that there's like holes in the narrative just because it is ultimately like, you know, a 300 year old event. And I think that depending on the tack that they take, I think you can really set this as this sort of horror thriller type atmosphere and event that's happening. And it already seems like Scorsese is taking some liberties with sort of the genre and thematic elements of Killers of the Flower Moon, at least from my understanding of people talking about it coming out of Cannes who are also familiar with the, with, the, with, the, with the nonfiction book. So I'm curious if Scorsese might take similar sort of thematic liberties and genre liberties with adapting something like The Wager and make it more in that psychological thriller sort of wheelhouse that I think found great success with Shutter Island, at least in terms of collaboration between the two of them. So yeah, I couldn't be more excited about this, Scott. I mean, just seeing these two work together, obviously Leonardo DiCaprio, I think I've talked about pretty regularly that he's one of, if not my favorite actor working in Hollywood. And the fact that he's really focused on probably what has been the most productive collaboration uh, between him and a director in his career and continuing to foster that, continuing to make more movies with Scorsese. I mean, I have nothing, I have no notes for Leo. Yeah, I mean, we see this now with like our movie stars again. Tom Cruise is doing the same thing essentially with his career at this point, as with we've talked about in the past, where he's he's uh you know bunkering himself in with two or three filmmakers, you know, Chris McQuarrie, Doug Lyman, these types of people. Krasinski, um, and, maybe we'll see. I mean, yeah. Joe Krasinski too, because yeah. he did what was that movie, that sci-fi movie he did with them in the early 2010s? Uh, Oblivion, yeah. Oblivion, yeah. Um Right. Um, and he's just he's he's writing with his guys, basically. And, um, you know, obviously, um, DiCaprio has worked with Tarantino a couple of times in the last decade. You know, he's done some Scorsese movies, did a film within Yari, too. Like he, he can pick and choose. He worked his way around a bunch of directors yeah. for sure. And, you know, some several times, no doubt. But look, I'm just saying if, if he and Chris want to get back together as well, if he wants to do a second with Nolan. Just that sure. he could do it. I just want to see Tom Cruise work with Nolan once. It will never happen. I mean, that's not happening. <laughs> no way yeah. that's happening. Well, no, but, no, no but one, anyways, I think Nolan has his creative control and such a vice that I don't think Cruise would be interested in working with him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Scott, you know, there's not much to be said about this. If Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are making a movie, I don't care what it is. I'm going to see tickets. it. It could yeah. be Vice 2. It could be Vice 2, and sure. I will go and see Vice it. Vice remake with him as 
Dick Cheney instead of instead of Christian Bale. It would be a way better film, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, these these are two of the goats. Um, sure. You know, I, I DiCaprio isn't quite my favorite actor, number one, but like, you know, he's been in some of my favorite movies. I think he's coming off of his best performance that he's ever given in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming into Killers of the Flower Moon. I hate to break it to you, but he had a performance in between that that you don't acknowledge. As I said, he's coming off of his best performance in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, the last movie, the most recent movie that he has done since sure. um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Sure. And um, and yeah, that, that was his best performance in his career, in my opinion. So um, I'm all in on DiCaprio. Um, always been all in on Scorsese. So yeah, I, I have heard, I, I wanted to, I, I do actually know a couple of people who have read this book. So I need, I want to kind of hear more from them because I think it's one of those stories where there's more to it than meets the eye. Sure. Um, but uh, I, I don't know exactly in what way that is true. Uh, maybe I'll just leave it to be discovered in the movie. I don't know. But anyway. I, I mean, I also think there's some minor things that there are some different, and I was mentioning this in just a second, there are some differences between the movie and the book, not necessarily in how the events play out per se, but where like the thematic focus sort of rests. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some different stuff there. Anyway, all respect to people like Scorsese, people like Michael Mann, right, who are going sure. into their late 70s and 80s, and they're just they're just making movies, and they're still making really good movies. And and it's not, you know, as much as I love Tarantino, we mentioned him earlier, he's not, it's not this BS he's been on about for 15 years. Oh, I'm only going to make 10 movies, and oh, yeah. 10 movies are going to come up. Because film yeah. directors, when they get old, don't have... Right, make yeah. movies anymore or whatever, yeah. whatever. He obviously, that's that is. obviously that's not true, and he's just coming off of again his second here. best movie, probably for me, uh, Tarantino. So I don't know what he's on about, but hopefully he reconsiders when he looks at people like Scorsese and Michael Mann. Ferrari is getting was getting great buzz out of its premiere at the Venice Film Festival. So sure, um, yeah, there you go. Uh, the wager coming soon. All right, Scott, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton2013. And I am at Scarvy Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you'll join us in two weeks for the next episode of the podcast in which we will be reviewing the latest in Kenneth Branagh's series of Agatha Christie adaptations, A Haunting in Venice. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.